Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. This month, we're going to be talking about our very favorite books, um, because we can't pick just one. Um, I'm your host, Eden Gray, and I'm here with my co-host, Carrie Green. And we're really excited to be talking about our favorite books with you. Um, As always, you can find a list of the books on our website, justpublib.org. Search for Books and Bites, and um, we're going to get started. So I wanted to begin with talking about a couple of nonfiction books that aren't my personal favorites, but are relevant to the topic of favorites. The first one is a new book, and it's called Dear Fahrenheit 451, Love and Heartbreak in the Stacks, A Librarian's Love Letters and Breakup Notes to the Books in Her Life by Annie Spence. Why do nonfiction books always have the longest subtitles? I know. <laughs> I was thinking that as I was reading it on and on and on. <laughs> that one has two long subtitles. Yeah, I, I think maybe because they wanted to get that... Uh, I mean, I don't know. Dear Fahrenheit 451 doesn't really tell you much about yeah, the book, I guess. But really, the... <laughs> That's I what think, it is, though. I think it could have lost one of those subtitles. Yes. <laughs> All right. So tell us what you like about the book. Okay. Other than the really long title... Um, so I have to confess, I kind of wanted to hate this book. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, mostly because I wish I'd written it. But from the minute I heard the introduction on the Hoopla audiobook version, I was smitten. As the title suggests, the book collects letters that librarian author Annie Spence wrote to different books. Not just her favorite books, but also books that she doesn't like, books that annoy her, books that just plain don't belong in her library's collection anymore. You really see the full gamut of her relationship with books, and I think most book lovers will appreciate that. She's funny and a little snarky, both about books and about library patrons, but that's okay because it comes from a place of love. I laughed out loud on multiple occasions while listening to this book, and I'm probably going to have to check the physical copy out just so I can write down all the books I now want to read. And one small caveat, contrary to most librarian stereotypes, Spence does her fair share of cursing. So if that's not your thing, you may want to avoid this one. This book sounds like my thing. I think I would like it. Yeah. (laughs) I I think any librarian for sure would Mm -hmm. like it. Um, And and probably any book lover. Sure. Um, When you showed it at Books and Bites before, it looks like you don't have to just read it straight through. Also, you did because you were listening to the audiobook. Right. You could just pick it up and say, oh, I also hated this book. Yeah. (laughs) And just read that section. Yeah. It's definitely one you can pick up and put down and, um, you know, maybe even a coffee table book. Just something you kind of keep around to, to flip through. Okay. Um, and then the the second book I wanted to talk about, um, second nonfiction book, which ha- also has a subtitle, but a shorter subtitle. It's called You May Also Like Taste in an Age of Endless Choice by Tom Vanderbilt. This book by the best-selling author of Traffic examines why we like the things we do, whether it's food, beer, art, or music. It examines the psychological, neurological, and cultural reasons for our tastes, as well as how taste is shaped by our online environments. Hello, Netflix algorithm. 
Although Vanderbilt doesn't specifically discuss books or reading, I think many of his findings can be applied to them. For instance, he talks about how we often, quote, hold a special place in our hearts for the music of our early adult years, unquote. And I think that can be true of books, too. So I also have one nonfiction book that I wanted to share today, and it's my only nonfiction. It is a book of collected writings and poetry called Narrow Road to the Deep North and Other Travel Sketches, and it's by Matsuo Basho, who was one of the founders of the haiku tradition um, in historical Japan. And this book is about, in his later life, when Basho was quite old, 50 or 60, he turned to Zen Buddhism very seriously. Um, and the travels that are sketched in this volume reflect his attempts to cast off his earthly attachments and reach out for that spiritual life, which involved him traveling quite a bit um, and interacting with nature and things like that. So there are a few different works collected in this book, a few different travel sketches, but the title piece, Narrow Road to the Deep North, um, shows Basho striving to discover a vision of eternity and everlasting life in the transient nature and world around him, as well as his personal understanding of the mysteries of the universe, which are usually, it sounds lofty, but it, it's usually... Uh, shown through him writing haiku and verse about very mundane interactions and creatures and haiku about there are a lot of haiku about insects and flowers and um, they're usually quite humorous I should have brought the book along with me so I could uh, show a print copy but he's he's a really funny guy and he finds a lot of um, I guess humor in the world around him while also being kind of sad and unsatisfied. It's a very interesting contrast. Um, so we don't have a print copy of the book in our collection um, because we I couldn't find the particular edition that is my favorite. Um, but we do have it as an ebook, so you can check it out and read it anywhere that your travels might take you. Awesome. I'm very excited that you have a book of poetry as one of your favorites. Right? I love haiku. <laughs> it's my favorite. So while we're on the subject of poetry, I will talk about a book, one of my favorite books of poetry. It's called Dear Darkness, and it's by Kevin Young. And I've been wanting to talk about this book ever since we started Books and Bites, because it's one of my favorite books of poetry and because it's full of beautiful odes to some of my favorite Louisiana dishes. Um, also, I realized that I have two books with letter titles <laughs> dear <laughs> dear fahrenheit 451 and also dear darkness That's an interesting trend yeah um, many of the poems in dear darkness elegize the poet's father who died suddenly in a hunting accident in the poem paul bearing young writes he is dead so we eat in his heaven he must be hungry so we fill ourselves stomachs for him, the red sauce and the meat, acres of pies aunties have blessed. 
But while the poems mourn for a lost father and other family members, they also praise with playful, highly musical language and humor. The poem Ode to Chicken begins, You are everything to me. Frog legs, rattlesnake, almost anything I put my mouth to reminds me of you. <laughs> How long does that go on for? Pages? Um, maybe a maybe a couple of pages, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I really like how he mixes humor like that with the sadness. Definitely. It kind of makes it, you know, the sadness bearable. Mm-hmm. In one of my favorite poems, "Ode to Gumbo," Young offers one of the best reasons I can think of to cook. So why not make a soup of what's left? Why not boil and chop something outside the mind? If you'd like a recipe for something that will both comfort and take you outside your mind, I recommend the Southern Bowl, chipotle black-eyed peas with maple mashed sweet potatoes and collard greens. From one of my favorite cookbooks and one I've mentioned before on Books and Bites, Get It Ripe, A Fresh Take on Vegan Cooking and Living by Jay Steele. As Young notes in the poem, Prayer for Black-Eyed Peas, black-eyed peas or hoppin' is a traditional Southern meal on New Year's Day, a tradition that I still follow. However, Steele's version replaces the usual pork with chipotle peppers and other spices for a meal that's vegetarian but just as flavorful. Personally, I find the sweet potatoes too sweet to pair with black-eyed peas. What? Never. I can't take away my sweet potatoes. Well, you can make the sweet potatoes, um, but I usually just make rice, which is the traditional way to serve them. So my absolute favorite book that I wanted to share with Books and Bites, um, and the reason why I suggested this topic for Books and Bites for November, is the Riddle Master Trilogy by Patricia McKillop. And then my favorite edition, which I find I always have favorite editions of books, and they're usually paperbacks, um, is it's a big paperback edition that has all three of the trilogy books in it. And this is a trilogy, a fantasy trilogy, that McKillop wrote in the 60s and 70s. And I guess it's very strange that that's my favorite thing, but it's not <laughs> It's not written like most classic fantasy or sci-fi. Um, I went through a classic sci-fi phase, and it was really difficult to get through because it's very hedonistic and chauvinistic, mm-hmm. <laughs> very much so. It's not, it's not pleasant reading at all. Um, but I did it, and it was a good comparison. Mm-hmm. So this is nothing like that. <laughs> good. Um, <laughs> The Riddle Master Trilogy is a collection of, it, it's the only in-print edition now of this series, and it's the story of a young prince who is, he's he's a farmer, but he's also a, a prince on this farming island uh, that's kind of separate from the rest of the fantasy world. It doesn't really get involved in politics, there's no war there, everything just continues peacefully season through season. Um, but he gets uh, swept away in a, an adventure, of course, and he is shipwrecked, and he loses his memory, and the story starts from there. He has to re, uh, 
he has to go through and figure out who he is again and what his name is. He has other names that prophecies have given him and he has to come to terms with all of that and accept the reality of his identity in this fantasy world despite not wanting anything to do with it because he just wants to go back to being a farmer on his little island which i don't blame him everyone's trying to kill him um his parents turns out his parents died because of this in a shipwreck um his his family his sister and his brother are in constant danger and he wants nothing to do with it so it's it's a little different from the typical um, fantasy protagonist where they want to go out and become the knight or the wizard or right. or save the world and he really doesn't want anything to do with that um so it's it's just fantastic writing and a really interesting outlook on a fantasy world and it's written in a really unique way and the library now has a copy um, that you can read it's this my favorite paperback edition <laughs> so <laughs> give it a chance sounds great so the there are really no bites or food or recipes that really struck me um, from this series. But what got me most is their dedication to drinking wine at all times, whenever possible. If there is a pitcher of wine, you are drinking it, and it is filled with wine and not water. <laughs> Always. <laughs> That's just the kind of fantasy world this is, I guess. <laughs> and um, another interesting thing is that um, main character Morgan wants to... He wants to go back to beer brewing as well. They they do that on his farming island, and they're very well known for it. Their beer um, is one of the few things that they can trade along with mm -hmm. cattle, and so it's known throughout the rest of the world. And um, Lexington has a really amazing craft brewing scene, mm -hmm. if that's something that you're into. Um, and there's also an, a little wine shop restaurant in downtown nicholasville that i drive by my way home sometimes and look longingly into the the dimly lit interior it looks so uh, yeah. cozy but i've never been there um but we do also have a lot of cookbooks and wine making and beer brewing books mm -hmm. in our collection um and any librarian can help you find those if that's something you're interested in yeah because you don't need to live in a fantasy novel to make your own beer that's right. You don't. <laughs> you could do it at home. It's crazy. I'm always surprised when I hear from friends that they're brewing their own beer. Um, on Halloween, I got to try some that a friend of mine made. Mm -hmm. And it was actually good because sometimes they try really strange <laughs> combinations like they're going right. to add jalapeno or chocolate. And that isn't always great, but it, it was really good. You know, it's it's funny that we're talking about beer because in the book you may also like, he does almost a whole chapter devoted to beer and how he's talking about how experts often have different tastes than novices. Very much so. And that's very much the case with beer as a lot of times people who haven't tried a lot of beer like really light things that 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 the experts consider as not having any flavor. <laughs> right. It doesn't does taste like anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. But if you're making your own, you can make it however you want. Yeah, you can. And it, it you can do lots of experiments. It's kind of rare for me to read multiple books by the same author. So I know I must really like a writer if I've read practically everything they've ever written. 
And such is the case with Alice Munro, a Canadian writer who won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 2013. Alice Munro writes short stories, and if you're starting to tune out because you don't like short stories, please stay with us because, to me, her stories feel like novels, with all the emotional depth that you find in much longer works. Most of her stories take place in small towns in southwest Ontario, where she's from, and they explore the inner lives of women and girls as they go about their everyday domestic duties. Monroe's stories taught me that women's lives matter and that small moments can contain just as much tension as the most dramatic of plots. If you like Elizabeth Strout or Eudora Welty, you might like Alice Monroe. I'm partial to Friend of My Youth, the first book I read by her, but you could also start with Family Furnishings, which contains a selection of her work from 1995 to 2014. Nicole Villeneuve writes beautifully of Alice Monroe's relationship to food on her blog, Paper and Salt. She offers a recipe for rosemary bread pudding that's inspired by a description of bread pudding from Monroe's book, The View from Castle Rock. It sounds absolutely delicious, though with lots of milk and cheese, it's not something I can eat. So I'd like to suggest a favorite, equally comforting and herby dish, Potato Gratin with Cashew Cream, from the book Urban Pantry, Tips and Recipes for a Thrifty, Sustainable, and Seasonal Kitchen by Amy Pennington. It's so delicious, even your dairy-eating friends will want the recipe. My meat-loving husband actually asks for me to make it every year for his birthday. Wow, nice. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is really comfort food at its finest. It has, you know, potatoes and creamy cashew cream and lots of herbs and salt and bread on top. That sounds great. It's great for winter, too. Awesome. more favorites that I want to share Um, and these are of course young adult books because I haven't talked about teen books yet and it's that time. So I have two very different uh, teen series that I want to share that are probably my favorites um, and that I plan on rereading in the next couple months because there are sequel series coming out and I'm very excited about it. Um, The first one is uh, the Shatter Me series by Tahira Mafi. It is a young adult dystopian romance, which was a huge trend for a while and is still kind of a thing, but this is my favorite one. (laughs) It's about a girl named Juliet who was ostracized or literally incarcerated for her entire life um, because she has the strange ability to... um, Basically, she hurts everything she touches, kind of like Rogue in the X-Men. The incident that always haunts her is when she was 10 or 11 in a grocery store with her mom and this little boy fell and something fell on top of him and she tried to help him up but he wouldn't stop screaming because every time he touched her it hurt um so they put her in a mental institution and that's where she's been for almost two years and the writing is fantastic because you really get inside her head um it's very 
very stream of consciousness is the word I'm looking for. And Juliet keeps herself sane by writing in this little notebook that she stole from one of the doctors. And she'll write all of these awful things and then cross them out and try to change her mind and write different things. And the words on the page are literally crossed out and you have to read through them. It's, mm -hmm. It was just a really unique take on that big dystopian romance trend um, a few years ago when this came out. Um, so there are three books in this series, and the library has all of them, of course. I recommend it all the time. And uh, when it ends, we I always thought that, oh, well, now everything we wanted to happen has happened. This, this is fantastic. Now what? Mm -hmm. And it's been three years, and now we get to find out, now what? <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, so that's happening also for my other favorite young adult series called Red Rising, and it's by Pierce Brown. This is an intense, hard sci-fi series set in a bleak future society um, that lives on Mars. It takes place on Mars. Um, humanity has colonized the other habitable planets, and they don't really know anything about Earth anymore. It's been that many generations. But the society is divided by classes and... Darrow, the main character, lives in the lowest class, the Reds. And after witnessing his wife's execution very early on in the book, he gets involved in a revolutionary group and attempts to infiltrate the elite military academy um, and moves up through all of these um, class divisions. And I can't say anything else after that because I'll <laughs> spoil it. I went into this book completely blind, not knowing anything, let alone that it was set on Mars, that there were these different classes. I, I didn't know anything, and I recommend going into it that way because the reveals and the surprises are very shocking um, and will keep you turning in the pages and wanting to find out how Darrow is going to get through all of these crazy situations. Um, he's a very strong person, and he has a lot of strong people that support him. And they grow, they go through a lot in those three books. And now we get to find out what happens when they're all grown up. <laughs> so that's the Red Rising series by Pierce Brown. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. We record in the recording studio, the Jessamine County Public Library's creative space. You can find out more about the library, our recording studio, and find a list of the books that we talked about this month on our website, justpublib.org. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album, which you can now purchase. It's out now, um, called In Close Quarters with the Enemy. And you can find out more about Scott and his music at his website, adoreforadesk.com. And Books and Bites is taking a break for December, but you can still come and chat about your favorite books at the Winter Book Swap on Wednesday, December 13th from 2 to 4 p.m. Bring some books to share and trade and take some new ones home with you. You can drop in anytime between 2 and 4 to the Book Swap. We hope to see you there.